thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 153 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Diana Rogers to discuss sustainable meat consumption. You will learn more about the pseudoscience in the recent meat bashing documentaries, What the Health and Cowspiracy, the benefits of meat for your health, why we shouldn't rely predominantly on chicken as a source of protein, the problems with monocropping vegetables, and so much more. Let's welcome Diana to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to having you join us on The Real Food Real. To set the scene, though, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and certainly then what you're up to these days. Sure. Uh, So I'm a registered dietitian here in the U.S. I live outside of Boston. I am married to an organic farmer. So we live on this big, beautiful organic farm. We do uh, vegetables and we do pasture-raised meat. So we do sheep, goats, Uh, pigs running through the woods and chickens for eggs. And uh, so that's our home life. And he runs the farm as as his, you know, in business. And then I have a clinical nutrition practice uh, just in the next town over in Concord, Massachusetts, where I see people one-on-one and I've got another dietitian as well. And we help people. We mostly focus on metabolic issues and uh, tummy problems, IBS, and I can't figure out what's wrong with my, my guts type situations. And uh, so that's fantastic. And then in my uh, spare time, I do writing. I have two cookbooks. I have my own podcast called Sustainable Dish. I do a lot of blogging and um, recently have uh, taken on a documentary that I can talk about in a little bit. But um, but I got into all of this because um, I have uh, celiac disease that was undiagnosed until I was in my mid-20s. And I've always been interested in food and um, how, uh, you know, different foods affect our guts and everything. And then um, I actually worked on farms all through college uh, as my summer job. And I'm really, really interested in the intersection of sustainability and food. So kind of like if we're if we're going to live forever, I, w- I was just at a conference in Iceland and I was, the theme was longevity. And uh, so we had all these folks up there talking about circadian rhythms and, you know, keto and all these things. And then I got up there and I was like, okay guys, but if we're going to live forever, how are we going to make our food? Uh, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in the U.S., we've got a lot of fake lab meat type uh, companies that are getting tons of money from Silicon Valley, millions and millions of dollars saying that this is like the most ethical because no animals have to die. It's the most environmental because, you know, animals are horrible for the environment and it's more nutritious because meat will kill you, right? So those are the three things that I'm really um, focused on right now is the nutrition the sustainability aspect and the ethical uh, reasons why meat is okay. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you're very busy, but um, very important work that you do. And I really wanted to explore this topic with you, especially because um, we we know what's happened recently in the health and wellness space with the movie What the Health. And mm-hmm. before that, we had Cowspiracy, which um, I'd love for you to just speak on um, for those listeners that might not be aware of those two documentaries and and then we'll explore the topic together a little bit further. Yeah, so those two documentaries are really sort of pinning meat as the biggest culprit to why we're so sick. And obviously humans, there's a huge disconnect right now with the, with the food we're eating and it's, it's not sort of biologically appropriate for humans. Uh, but uh, we've got a lot of people that are pretty disconnected from how food is produced and what is uh, sort of basic human physiology and biology, uh, saying that you know meat causes things like diabetes, which is that's just not even possible. Uh, so there's just a lot of pseudoscience going on, and I think it's really driven from an emotional place and then sort of looking at, you know, how can we find some studies to justify our position? Yeah. And I get it because, you know, it can seem, you know, with people living in cities not not familiar with how food is produced, it can seem really wrong to kill animals to, you know, for our nourishment. But the fact is that, you know, humans have been doing this forever. There's whole cultures that have done very well on on only eating meat. And, you know, certainly I don't think that um, we need to give up vegetables, but I do think that uh, meat, in particular red meat, is a really important uh, nutrient-dense food for human consumption. And what we're seeing around the world is people either giving up meat or eating more chicken instead of red meat, thinking that that's healthier, which chicken can't hold a candle to red meat as far as um, nutrient density goes. And then, um, you know, environmentally and, and even ethically, you know, think of how many chickens have to die to feed a person compared to like one cow, right? Mm -hmm. One cow can make uh, about 490 pounds of meat uh, and uh, a chicken is how many pounds, right? So if you're looking to cause least total death, it's really, you know, large ruminants, I would argue, that are um, much more effective uh, at uh, at feeding us for the least amount of harm. Um, because uh, monocropping vegetables is quite harmful for the environment. You have to think about, you know, all the land that was cleared in order to make the cropland because, you know, it's not natural. I'm sure you've been up in an airplane and looked down and see these huge tracks of of just squares right agricultural land that's not a natural state so we're we're eliminating habitat for lots and lots of animals whether it's grasslands or rainforest in order to make way for one solo crop of corn or soy or wheat and uh then we've got of course all the the uh, little animals that are dying from the pesticides and the chemicals that we're applying to these foods, and then the you know the tractors running over releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, we're using fossil fuels to fertilize, so there's there's all kinds of of issues there environmentally, and um, when you compare that to a much more natural system of cattle on grasslands and and bison and 
deer and you know other other animals that are uh, really beneficial for the land, you've got a beautiful ecosystem there. And so um, my my big passion these days is to try to get people to eat more red meat, not less, get away from factory farming because that's definitely not a good solution, but there are other ways. And unfortunately, these vegan and vegetarian focused films are only showing factory farming and only showing images of animals being abused. And that doesn't necessarily have to happen all the time. And it doesn't happen all the time. Those are, they're, they're looking at, you know, uncommon practices, basically. So even though, you know, there's a lot of factory farming and it's, uh, it's a small percentage of our food that is actually done, you know, well with, with grass-fed beef and things like that, uh, that doesn't mean that you should avoid all meat. That's not going to change how meat is raised. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And there's a lot that I want to unpack there, but I think this is the point that we really have to be careful of when we watch films like we mentioned because they're obviously looking at the research to find exactly what they're looking for so they can Mm -hmm. somehow support these hypotheses or hypotheses that they've developed um but what they're doing and it's the same in the 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 articles that we see that um you know flow through social media in in waves is they talk about meat as one big group with no yep. distinction to things like the environment and the farming practices and the type of food and the sustainability approach when, when it comes to food quality. So just briefly for me, can you talk about, um, I guess, the differences from a health and environment and sustainability point of view when we talk about like farms like yours when mm-hmm. comparison or when compared to the types of meat production that these films are highlighting sure yeah there's um we can talk specifically about nutrition if you wanted first mm-hmm. because um you know there's a lot of confusion out there and and certainly people do lose weight on a vegan diet because it's a fast. So people do lose weight when they restrict calories and, and do a fast. Uh, and, um, and what they're looking at when they, when they see these studies that are showing you know, people so much healthier on a vegan type diet or a vegetarian diet, uh, a lot of them are looking at comparing people who are you know, re- living a relatively healthy lifestyle, right? They're shopping at health food stores, they're probably doing yoga, meditation, uh, you know, taking supplements, not drinking and smoking a lot. And then they compare these people to someone on like a, a standard Western diet, which is full of processed foods. Um, but then also there, there's a lot of lifestyle factors in there. So when you, when you separate out all the confounding factors and look at a healthy diet, uh, one with meat and one without meat, there's actually no difference at all in longevity and mortality between people who are eating meat versus people who don't eat meat. Um, They've done studies where they've looked at people who shop at health food stores. So you're already sort of selecting for you know, that type of, you know, healthy, beautiful person that you would see at a, at a health food store, right? Uh, no difference at all mm. in, in the folks that are eating, you know, lots of kale and carrots and, you know, all the good veggies plus meat. 
Um, so there's really no nutritional benefit of giving up meat, and there's quite a lot of harm that can happen, uh, especially in children. So I, you know, I don't have that much of an issue if people want to, you know, for whatever reason, uh, personal reasons rather, uh, to to give up meat. But when it when it comes to children, I do have an issue with that because it is not a biologically appropriate diet. And B12 deficiency, which is really common in people that don't eat meat, can cause permanent brain damage in children. And um, so I, I, I see it as abusive, actually, uh, to feed your kids um, a biologically inappropriate diet for humans. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, you, you make some good points there because obviously eating vegetables, like even though you're obviously a meat advocate, I doubt you're encouraging like the traditional Atkins diet where it's huge slabs of meat. And so obviously it's about the inclusion, but we still celebrate plants, you know, non-starchy veggies, they Mm -hmm. should be still a really big part of our plate. So of course, if you're looking at the, the health status of someone who's eating lots of vegetables, they're going to be far healthier than someone following a standard Australian or a standard American diet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can see why this research is, you know, is finding what it is, but there's, as you say, so many other variables and simply cutting out meat is obviously, you know, not the only thing that we're looking at when we're investigating the health of, of the subjects. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And a lot of people have this perception too, that we're eating so much meat and we have Mm. to eat less meat. Right. Um, And so as a dietitian, I challenge that too, because when I have someone come into my office and they're looking to lose weight, I always increase their protein. So protein is the most satiating macronutrient. Um, it makes us, you know, feel good, feel happy. It's the building bone, it, building block for you know our whole structure of our body. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't getting enough protein. Um, when you look at the statistics, you know, there's a lot of different numbers out there. But the uh, when when adjusted for loss, we're actually looking at at least in Americans. I haven't looked at Australia. It would be interesting. But when adjusted for loss, we're only eating about five and a half ounces of meat a day here in America per person. So that's not you know a gigantic tomahawk steak you know mm. on everyone's plate like some kind of you know cartoon <laughs> mm. image that I think comes into people's minds and. Uh, so I really encourage much more protein for the people walking into my office. And if I did nothing else, you, you know, like eliminate, you know, sugars or grains or whatever, they will naturally reduce the rest of their caloric intake if they're just getting more protein, that protein hype. Um, oh my gosh, now I'm, I'm blanking on it. The protein leverage hypothesis. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you talk about in terms of either – um, I know it's going to be quite individual, but do you give mm-hmm. like grams per kilogram of body weight or percentage of total calories? What are we talking about here in terms of overall protein? So I, uh, there's, you know, that when I'm talking practically, right, when mm-hmm. I have a, a, a mom, a busy mom walking mm-hmm. into my office, I say four to six ounces of protein, of animal protein per meal. Um, I try to get people at at least about 100 grams of, of protein per uh, per day, but a lot of yeah. people don't, they don't understand that grams of protein are not the same as grams of 
meet in they weight. Definitely don't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's a little too, you know. So when yeah. I'm talking, there, I have different language when I talk to people that are, uh, you know, medical professionals or, or uh, health mm. sleuths, right? So maybe a lot of your listeners are. Um, so uh, I like to see about twenty percent of mm-hmm. caloric intake yeah. uh, be be protein. And then we adjust the fat and carbs depending on the situation. You know, someone with a really messed up gut is probably not going to do well on a lot of kale salads. Mm. Uh, And so I encourage, you know, for someone who has really bad IBS to look more at, you know, really well cooked vegetables, uh, carrots and and things like that, that are going to be just really easily absorbed. Um, But I, I definitely have a lot of people that are pretty damaged from a vegetarian vegan diet come to me and we just we just work on just getting more meat in so yeah and i think again it's got to be done properly which doesn't mean you can then just dive into some of those crops that you mentioned like the wheat and the corn and overdo mm-hmm. like essentially just a carbohydrate diet it, it can right. easily become very carbohydrate dominant. I want you to talk about some of the benefits of meat for health and let's uncover the, a bit more about the B12 that you mentioned, mm-hmm. iron, ferritin, and, and then what you think about, um, you know, a vegan or vegetarian diet and if they need supplements and there's a lot oh, yeah. to cover there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the biggest deficiency we see with ve- mm. vegans and vegetarians other than um, protein in a lot of, mm. in a lot of cases, because, uh, it's it's just difficult to get all the if you're looking at trying to get 20% of your protein mm-hmm. um in in a in your to overall calories getting that from plant-based sources is really tricky especially if you're not going to eat a lot of soy and i think there's a lot of agreement that soy is not a good thing like even from the the plant-based world um soy is just horrible so if you're trying to get it from things like uh legumes and nuts and seeds you know I try to, when I try to educate people on, let's shoot for 30 grams of protein per meal, you can either do that from 130 calories worth of fish or 700 calories worth of peanut butter. Yeah. Right. So, mm. so what's the most, you know, if we're trying to reduce overall calories, uh, the most efficient way to do that is with uh, to get your 30 grams of protein is from meat sources. So uh, fish, chicken, beef, pork, lamb, you know, whatever it tends to be is, is those are all going to be more efficient ways to get your protein than from legumes and grains and potatoes mm. and things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, lentils are, you know, the least caloric legume and probably the most digestible one for people that are dead set on, you know, looking at just plant-based proteins. Um, but you're still looking at about four, I think it was about, uh, between 400 and 450 calories worth of lentils for the same amount of protein that you can get in 130 calories worth of fish. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense and it's, the, the, let's use the round number of 100 grams of protein a day. Like it's it's pretty impossible, especially for a female who's eating less. It's pretty impossible mm-hmm. to get that from a lower carbohydrate sort of vegan diet. So mm-hmm. then there's obviously inherent challenges there with what goes on the plate and, like you say, maybe relying on things like soy or, or protein powders too much. 
Exactly. And the, you know, the protein recommendations, do you guys have it's uh, from the government, like 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight? Is that how it works in Australia? What are the recommendations there? Yeah. I mean, we got personally golf percentages. So my recommendations are 20, but um, yeah, they, there are, there is the range of the 0.8 to 1.2 grams per kilogram and it changes okay. on training goals and things like that. Mm. Yeah. So that, yeah, the standard American is, is 0.8 grams of protein per pound of per body pound. weight, yeah. which, mm. uh, which is so low. And, and so mm. I looked into that, where did they get those numbers? How did they come up with that? And it's from nitrogen balance studies. So mm. basically they would, you know, measure nitrogen versus nitrogen out. And when we reach zero, then, you know, we're good. But the problem is those studies are really off depending on the person. Is it a highly mm. stressed person? Is it somebody who has an autoimmune disease or, you know, are they healing from something? Are they older? Uh, and, and the 0.8 grams per, oh, I'm sorry, 0.8 grams per kilogram of yeah. body weight. That's, yeah. that's what it is here. And uh, so that's the basic minimum to avoid mm. muscle loss. So a lot of people are thinking that that's, you know, ideal, ideal, protein intake. And that's, again, that's the minimum. And then what they do here, because no one knows kilograms in America, uh, do you guys, do you guys do pounds or kilograms? Kilograms. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, they do the conversion for us here. And uh, so they base it on a woman of 125 pounds and a man of 154 pounds, which is so light. So it's so much lower than, so the average American is 106, uh, average American woman is 100. 66 pounds. The average American man is 195 pounds. So uh, anyway, so even if you were to do the basic minimum um, for those weight for a female, yeah, yeah, it's it's still it's so low. Mm. I just and, worked out and, mine, and it would be like 48 kilo, uh, 48 yeah. grams of protein a day. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous, yeah. right? And if you ate that little, you'd be so hungry for hungry, other foods. You would naturally sure. have so many sugar cravings and carb cravings, mm, right? Fascinating. Um, yeah, so it's about fifty percent um, less, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, anyway, so we need more protein and we need better protein. And so my whole platform these days is more meat, better meat. Mm. Uh, so, so if you're in the grocery store and you're looking at even just, you know, typical meat, I would argue that buying beef and lamb is a better choice than buying chicken only because cows don't spend their whole lives on feedlots. Like even typical cows, they don't like grow up on feedlots. They're only transferred to feedlots at the end for finishing. And so uh, when you compare that to chickens, which spend their entire chickens for meat uh, in a grocery store, spend their entire lives indoors eating grains under fluorescent lights in horrific conditions. Uh, same thing with pork. Pork is, um, you know, like ribs in a, in a typical grocery store. It's the same idea. So it's really, you know, but you can find, at least here in America, you can find grass-fed beef in most grocery stores. How about in Australia? Is it common to find it there? Yeah, these days, like only recently, um, mm -hmm. and it certainly costs an arm and a leg. It's not the most yeah. economical way to do it, but yeah, you, we do see it in the, the major supermarket chains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, of course, uh, so if you're looking at just pure ethics, I would, uh, and, and you are a meat eater, I would, I would encourage, you know, at least the cows can, even a typical cow, right? You can't, you can't afford grass-fed beef, um, but, and you think you're doing better because chickens are somehow 
not as cute as cows. I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh, but I, I would still encourage, you know, if you're looking to cause a little less harm and have a, a slightly healthier animal, cows at least can walk, typical cows can walk around, you know, even when they're at a feedlot, they can walk. They're not in cages. They're under, under fluorescent lights. You know, they're, uh, they're free to roam around. Um, but then, of course, it's much better to do grass-fed beef, um, grass-fed yeah, lamb, things like that. I just like want to talk about the costing for a minute because I think, unfortunately, like that's the barrier or they think it's the barrier for a lot of people. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're not here asking anyone to spend a 50 or $60 a kilo or, you know, B, get eye fillets and fancy mm-hmm. cuts. Like, it's, I think it's about quality. Like, food quality has to be number one. But then mm-hmm. if if there's a budget consideration, like it's about finding another way. Like in Australia, we can order direct from the farm. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. it's not as convenient as driving through Coles on your way home from work and Mm -hmm. yes, you need to be a little bit more organized for delivery. But, you know, the difference in price goes from 50 to like $17 a kilo. So it's so much more affordable and then there is no barrier to, to food quality. Like we can't use that cost as a, as the barrier no long, any longer. Right. And food is artificially cheap. Um, industrial food is artificially mm-hmm. cheap, of course. And, you know, there's ground meats, there's, you know, there's different cuts that are less expensive than, you there's know, we don't sales. have to eat filet every night. Exactly. And that's the other thing I wanted you to mention. I do want to go back to iron and ferritin. So remind mm-hmm. me if I, if I get off track, but I wanted to talk about um, the, from a sustainability point of view, how cows are so great from a nose to tail point of view and the quality mm-hmm. that we're missing out on if we just look for lean cuts like we would have done in the 80s in the low fat era. Oh, I know. I'm so glad that's over, but it's still, totally. you know, I, I still see it in the grocery stores here. Everyone's, you know, got the 0% fat yogurt and mm-hmm. American dietitians are still promoting, you it's know. It's the same here, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people are getting a little more open-minded to it, mm-hmm. I think, uh, eating more fat. But definitely, you know, the, the fats are are awesome. Um, red meat has, uh, as, as you mentioned, um, more B12 and more iron. Chicken hardly has any iron. I think it's like, it's, it's, it's minuscule. Mm. Um, and iron deficiency is the number one, um, nutrient deficiency in the world. And we're not going to get there with more chicken. We're not going to get there with, uh, even greens. We Mm. need it from, it's the most bioavailable from red meat. Um, and that's the most common thing I see in women walking in, they're overweight, but then they've got kind of dark circles under their eyes. And that's a, um, a pretty clear sign of uh, low protein. And, um, and then, uh, of course, anemia, you would see uh, like the, uh, the pink gums and um, like really pale, uh, like where the reds of their, their eyelids um, would be very pale. Yeah, it's um, low energy. Yep. Oh, absolutely. The, the extreme fatigue that some people walk around with all day thinking is normal, especially, and I, I suspect it's similar, uh, the reference range for ferritin is, is so wide and obviously mm-hmm. based on a sick population. So a lot of people, like let's say they are w- watching a film like What the Health and they think they want to explore eating less meat they might go to their doctor and and check things like iron and ferritin and and they're given the all clear but really like they're borderline Mm -hmm. but because Mm -hmm. those reference ranges are so archaic and um influenced by the the sick population that visit the doctors to develop these norms like 
they think they're in the position to be able to eat less meat and that couldn't be further from the truth. Exactly. And B12 deficiency doesn't show up until you're like rock bottom. A couple um, of years later. Mm. Yeah. So uh, the blood levels of B12 may look fine even if you're quite deficient in B12. Well, the other thing in, um, in regards to reference ranges in Australia, like I, th- I think from memory, the bottom of the reference range is about 250. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of studies that show like you're literally boarding, bordering on like neurocognitive problems if your B12 mm-hmm. is that low. Yet mm-hmm. again, people are being told that they're, they're okay because they're inside that reference range where we know about 500. So 100% more is, is the, the bottom of optimal. Like it, it's crazy when we look at what's going on with that medical model and how people are being educated around these deficiencies. Oh yeah. I mean, and don't even get me started on the reference ranges for glucose too. I mean, mm. it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's so many people, it's like one day they think they wake, they, they think they're fine. And then the next day they wake up with type two diabetes and, mm. um, you know, the, the glucose ranges are, are pretty bad as well. Yeah. Uh, and so red meat can help you, you know, stabilize your blood glucose, mm-hmm. um, B12 is incredibly important for neurotransmitters, brain health, mental health. Well, methylation um, cycle, I was just thinking about yeah. that in regards mm-hmm. to the role that B12 plays into the folate cycle mm-hmm. as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So health-wise, red meat wins. Um, mm. Red meat and, and, and then, of course, fish is, is awesome too. But I'm, uh, I'm just seeing more and more chicken. I think worldwide, the, one of the statistics I was looking at was like, we're, we've increased our chicken intake by 400% and, uh, since 1970. And again, chickens eat 100% grains. These are the typical chickens. I mean, not the chickens on our farms. Um, but, uh, you know, 100% grain, they're, they're completely unnatural animals. If you've ever seen a, a broiler production system, these, the, they can barely walk on their own. Uh, they'll die of organ failure at five weeks if you don't kill them <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. uh, because they just can't even move around. So it, well, go on, but I was just going to say uh, that the size of the chicken breast that you can buy sometimes, like that is I not come from a normal chicken. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. But I think like you know, going back to especially what the health, because I think it's, you know, obviously quite a recent film. And I've spoken to a lot of people that were totally freaked out by this film and unfortunately not educated enough on the difference in the meat mm-hmm. industry and, and, and how that we can choose quality and all these things we've been discussing. But, you know, I think that the, these films, what's really important to, to look at is firstly the, the kind of science they're using and, and who it's funded by and, mm-hmm. and that whole correlation equals causation, which we know mm-hmm. should not be used. Um, but also like the when you look at, say, who's, who's funding the actual film, like we've got to be savvy enough to appreciate that some people just have a vested interest, unfortunately, and we, we shouldn't be brainwashed by their personal opinion. Yeah. And they definitely, the tactics that they use and that a lot of the other vegan agenda organizations use are very emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like you wouldn't do this to your pets or your children. So why are you doing this to the animals and all that kind of stuff? And so they're, you know, they're showing it. They showed uh, Cowspiracy at my local high school. 
to, right. you know, I mean, they're, they're inducing basically eating disorders uh, okay. in, in our young people here. And it's really criminal, I think, mm-hmm. um, to only show this one-sided uh, perspective and not show how animals are actually part of nature and mm-hmm. humans are animals and we are actually part of nature, not on top of it or removed from it. And we're all part of a food web mm-hmm. and death uh, must happen in order for life to be here. You cannot have life without death. Yeah. And what about some of the, the claims they make? You mentioned the type two diabetes, but we definitely mm-hmm. see the C word and the heart disease and mm-hmm. I also um, had a huge problem with one of the doctors whose name escaped me now that says that sugar doesn't cause inflammation. Like, I mean, yeah. seriously, I, what, what yeah, are you living under? Yeah, it's pretty infuriating. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and so actually, but, so the, the project I'm working on now, this documentary yeah, that happening. I'm working mm. on, yep, um, isn't so much a response to that because I just can't. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't, you know, and it's it's not... I mean, it's so basically I'm what I'm looking to do is make a really sensitive, uh, cinematic, beautiful story explaining how animals are an important part of the ecosystem and how eliminating animals from our food system could actually cause more harm than good. Mm. Um, so we're going to be looking at different stories. We have medical experts that are going to be talking about the health benefits that you and I just went through um, of meat and fat um, from animal products. Uh, So, you know, protein, all, all the vitamins and minerals that we can get from meat. And, you know, it's really processed food. That's the big villain here. And, um, and to cause least harm through your food choices is certainly a noble thing to do. And I, I applaud that. And I, get where people are coming from when they feel weird about eating meat or they think that, you know, giving up meat is the, is the right choice because that, those are my people. Those are, the, those are the people that follow me on Instagram uh, are the ex-vegans and ex-vegetarians whose health failed mm. when they gave up meat and then they realized that, you know, actually it's quite healthy and I can do this in a good way and feel good about it. Uh, and so we're going to be interviewing people who were vegans. I actually even have a few vegans that are going to be on the film that, you know, they're vegan for personal choices, but they get that they can still work to have better meat in the system. And so working on less uh, factory farmed, you know, bad chicken and encouraging people to choose red meat instead of chicken. Uh, I don't know if uh, there was a film that came out by Leonardo DiCaprio called Before the Flood that was on TV here in America. Did that come out? Did you guys have that Ooh, at all? I haven't come across it. I'll have to look yeah. into it. Mm. But one of the one of the vegan experts he was speaking to said, you know, the best thing people can do is just choose chicken over a burger. And if mm. we just did that, that would solve, you know, so much problems. And actually that's the worst choice I think people can be making is mm. chicken over beef. Uh, so now that I never eat chicken, I'm having chicken for dinner tonight, but we, uh, we get it from a local farmer that raises them, you know, outdoors and they're not the same breed of chickens that you find in a, in a factory setting. Yeah. Uh, so we're really looking at that emotional 
disconnect that people are having between um, where their food is coming from and, you know, not wanting to look at maybe, you know, a pig head in a meat case, but then they, you know, can look at ribs or a steak in a meat case. Like what's going on with that? Why can't we identify the food that we're eating as coming from an animal? Why are so many people freaked out about eating chicken on a bone and they have to have it boneless? Uh, why are people so emotional about uh, how their, you know, animals are dying for their death, but then they're, uh, for their, you know, food, but then they're not really looking at how many people are exploited in the harvesting of their vegetables, right? Like uh, here in America, we have a lot going, we, we have migrant farmers, we have children who are working in fields that are being exploited, uh, harvesting tomatoes for people, you know, buy the piece, not getting water breaks, uh, things like that. Uh, and we've got, you know, major problems in California with our almond industry. So we're exporting most of the, of the almonds we're growing. Uh, and yet, water is being diverted from town. So people don't even have drinking water in some of these towns. And they're, the companies are owning the rights to that water and able to irrigate the almonds uh, instead of the humans being able to drink the water, right? So uh, are almonds okay? You know, is, is eating an almond better than eating a cow that was eating grass? So we're kind of looking at that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we're going to be illustrating how cows on grass are actually one of our best chances at reversing climate change. So yeah. cows on grass, when managed properly, can actually help sequester carbon. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to go into that at all. Yes, I don't know. Please do. No, no. Okay. I was going to ask you more about the, you know, the sustainability element. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah tell us more. So uh, when there's a big difference between if you just had one cow on the same patch of grass all the time versus you have a herd of, of cows densely packed together, but then moved, you know, on a very frequent basis. Mm. So when we're doing that, when we're doing the second, uh, we're allowing the land to rest, which uh, is really, really important for the health of the pasture and for the health of the soil. Um, so, so if you can intensely graze animals and then move them with electric fencing, what you're doing is allowing that grass to rest and then it can grow back stronger and the manure that the cows left actually inoculates the soil with healthy bacteria so they've got a biome in their guts that's being transferred to the ground and in increasing the microbial biodiversity underground and the roots of the grass actually are leaking little carbohydrates to the bacteria. They're feeding the bacteria in exchange for nutrients. So the bacteria then eat the, car, uh, the carbohydrates and are then going and getting um, other nutrients to feed to the grass roots. Yeah. And in that process, carbon is sequestered in the ground. Uh, so that kind of thing doesn't happen when we're looking at a, you know wheat, corn, soy monocropping situation. That those you know when you when you plant vegetables and grains, you're extracting from the soil. Mm -hmm. But the only but then you have to give back. So if the soil is a bank, you're taking money out by growing things like corn and soy and, and any kind of crop. You need to somehow get 
you know, all that nitrogen and all the other, you know, uh, nutrients back into the soil. So you can either do that with animal products or you can do that with fossil fuels. Um, and what we're doing today in most industrial agriculture is with fossil fuels, which are uh, not uh, an endless resource. You know, we're, we're running out of things and um, it actually is incredibly toxic to the ground to be using chemical fertilizers uh, instead of, you know, things like animal manure, um, blood and bones that are part of what happens in a natural ecosystem. So like when an animal dies, you know, another animal will come and eat it, but then you've got blood and bones and uh, different parts of the animal that are actually, you know, seeping back into the ground again. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so important, like you say, to, um, to look at that longevity aspect as to if we're going to live forever, what on earth are we going to eat? Exactly. Mm, yeah. Wow. And so the documentary, tell us, have you got a name and tell us more about when we can expect to find out more? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the name is Kale versus Cow, The Case for Better mm, Meat. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm again, not against kale, but I yeah. do see kale as sort of held up as, you know, the ultimate superfood for, you know, the plant-based folks out there. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, we're going to be diving into the nutrition environment and ethical reasons why eliminating animals from our food system might cause more harm than good. Uh, and so we're just in the pre-production stages right now. We're going to um, have a Kickstarter, which I think is, is according to the timing of this, live <laughs> um, in the month of December and moving forward there. So we can have maybe a link in the, in the show notes. Absolutely. Absolutely, we will. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say we'll be releasing. We'll, our, our first initial stage is just to get enough uh, to create a sizzle reel to get other companies and, and people excited about it and to show them what we can do. Uh, and then we're looking to shoot the, the rest of the film this summer and, um, and hopefully have a finished product after that. So. Wow. Yeah. So cool. I'm so glad that you're doing it because someone needs to be spreading this message far and wide. Mm -hmm. um, I do have our conversation has, you know, given people some more tools to appreciate what they're looking for when it comes to food quality and, and how to, to kind of interpret what they're being presented with, whether it is through another documentary or something they might read online because, mm -hmm. you know, it is a confusing space. So it's, it's great that you've provided such clarity on, on such a hugely emotional but significant topic. Thank you very much. It's been great to have you on The Real Food Real. Just before we go, uh, let our listeners know where they can find out more about you online. Oh, sure. Thank you. I, my website is sustainabledish.com. And that's my Twitter handle. I don't, I don't love Twitter. I'm not on Twitter that often, uh, but I am on Facebook and I love Instagram. I post quite frequently on Instagram uh, images from our farm and everything. And so I'll have a link on my website also to learn more about the film mm -hmm. and folks can sign up for my newsletter to learn more too. Beautiful. All those links will be in the show notes team. So please head there now. Diana, thank you again for your time. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.